Well, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, uh, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, several years ago, before I was a teacher, I had the opportunity to travel to Malaysia for business. Through our partner there, I was introduced to a fraternity of extremely wealthy and influential international businessmen who were doing work in Malaysia. And I was able to participate in one of the events that they had. This event was full of rituals and moderately demeaning hazing and very masculine challenges uh, that we that we participated in uh, at this event. But it was without a doubt one of the strangest experiences of my life with all of these old rich guys <laughs> uh, participating in this fraternity. But they assured me with absolute conviction that through this fraternity, if I would decide to join or participate, I could find true fellowship and unity and identity in any country that I went around the world. Needless to say, I did not choose to do that. But the very next morning, as I was being driven across town, I learned that the man who was assigned to drive me for the week was in fact a Christian. He was a follower of Christ in a country where that meant tremendous persecution and, and relationship isolation. And he became, in 10 minutes, more of my true brother than any of those guys were in the night before. I cannot wait to hear his full story when we meet again in heaven. Because through Christ, through him, he, we accomplished together a unity that was impossible through any other attempt, no matter how elaborate or complex they tried to make it. Here's the point, friends. True unity is possible only through Jesus Christ. And that means unity together with one another as members of his body. But even more importantly, that means unity with God himself. This morning we're going to be concluding our study of the book of Ephesians. And it's going to show us the three things which you will see on your outline that are possible only in Christ. First, unity in prayer. Second, unity in encouragement. And lastly, unity in love. We're going to begin by reading verses 18 through 20, which picks up in the middle of a sentence, uh, because this is Paul. Uh, and so he talks about how to use the armor of God to stand against the evil one. Let's read together. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Paul's admonition to pray is established firmly in the unity in Christ. Look at the unity in prayer that's possible here only through Christ. First, in verse 18, the Ephesian church is encouraged to pray in the Spirit. In the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God that the followers of Christ are to be so united in at all times, it says, that it is as if they were one with him through Christ. Then he says to pray for all the saints. Once they have been united in God... The prayers of the church can now extend to all of the others who are in him. In Christ, the church extends far beyond the few local bodies of Jewish people. They can extend around the world to all the saints united in Christ. And lastly, in verse 19, Paul asks for prayer that he himself would be bold in proclaiming, quote, the mystery of the gospel. What exactly is that mystery, Paul? He described it in chapter 3, verse 6. That the Gentiles, that's all of us, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Friends, further unity now between Jew and Gentile through the saving grace of Jesus Christ is possible. This is the kind of revolutionary unity that is possible and accomplished only in Christ. That those who were once bitter enemies, Jew and Gentile, are now united in a single body. Which gives rise to a united prayer that all of us who were once enemies with holy God and sinful man, that we could be further united in Christ. So that picture of Jew and Gentile who were enemies united is one of us as humans and God united in Christ. This is a practical expression of what Paul has been talking about throughout the entire book of Ephesians. Because God is uniting all things in his son Jesus, we can now pray truly united in Christ. That is what it means that only through Christ is unity in prayer possible. Like the Malaysian fraternity, friends, many people have this desire for effective prayer. There are countless rituals and philosophies and attempts that our world tries to do in order to achieve that kind of unity. But self-help and positive energy and directionless, vague belief in some sort of a higher power will never achieve unified prayer. Because apart from Christ, 
true unity is impossible. Even prayer to the true God, but divorced from his will, will not be effective, friends. Because unity in prayer is only possible through Christ. How does this apply? First, practice praying in the spirit, as he says. That means to strive first for unity in God through your prayers. Desire the things that he desires. Seek the things that he seeks. And love the things that he loves. And hate the things that he hates. Because in Christ, you can approach the very throne of God himself. You have been united with him. So when you pray, pray as a child who is loved by him. Empowered by him. And pray, friends, most of all, for his will to be done. And in doing so, secondly, pray for that unity among the saints. And pray for the gospel to be boldly proclaimed everywhere. If you are praying for the will of God, then you will certainly be praying for his purposes to be accomplished. You will pray for that greater unity between brothers and for the lost to be reunited with their father God. And so lastly, let me say again that true unity is possible only through Christ. He must be the center of your prayer life. He must be the center of every relationship that you hope to experience unity in. And back in Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gave us several practical examples of what it looks like to be united in Christ first. Married couples. That means that the best thing that you can do to draw into deeper unity with your spouse is to jointly seek unity with Christ. Children. That means that the best way for you to practice obeying your parents is to first obey Jesus. Workers, that means that your service to your employer is first and foremost an act of service to the Lord. And if Christ is not at the center of any of these examples and many more, then I assure you, friends, that the best thing that you can hope for is a pale imitation of the true unity possible only as you are united first with Christ. You could exercise even the most extreme strategies to build unity, like these wealthy men of the Malaysian fraternity, but it will never achieve true unity. But if you are first united in Christ, then nothing can separate you from his love and his family. So much so that you can be encouraged in him 
even in circumstances that would otherwise divide or destroy your unity between you and others or between you and God himself. Because of that, those who are united in Christ can point to that fact above all else and you can encourage one another in him. That's where we're going in the next section. Read verses 21 and 22 with me, please. So that you may all, so that you also may know how I am doing, or how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Here Paul shows how the encouragement of believers is likewise found through unity in Christ. Paul says in verse 21 that Tychicus's goal is to tell the church everything about how Paul is doing. And he gave a good summary of how he's doing in verse 20. Remember, he's in chains. He's awaiting his trial and his eventual execution. That is how Paul is doing. And yet he says in verse 22 that his very purpose and the intended outcome of Tychicus's visit is that he may encourage Their hearts. How exactly is that supposed to work, Paul? How does sending a representative to say everything about his imprisonment and his unrelenting situation is going to encourage the church? I think the answer is in how Paul himself views his imprisonment. And how he desperately hopes that the church will view it as well. Back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul introduces his letter and he says this. He gives thanks, quote, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all The saints. Despite the challenges that were faced by the Ephesian church, Paul's own encouragement comes to him from hearing of their faith in Jesus in the midst of all of those struggles. So friends, I think that when Tychicus reports how I am and what I am doing, He will be expressing above all else how Paul's faith in Jesus remains unshaken. And that, friends, is tremendous cause to be very greatly encouraged. Once again, unity in encouragement is something that the world wants to replicate. But apart from Christ, 
Encouragement is found only in things going well. Or putting a good face on a bad situation. Or looking on the bright side. Friends, these are flimsy alternatives. And more often than not, they don't lead to true unity and encouragement, but rather greater division. When my wife and I were able to visit Japan, we were astonished by a cultural phenomenon that we learned about. Japan is one of the most unified nationalistic cultures in the world. But we learned that although almost everyone in the area where we stayed had experienced the death of a loved one in the 2000 or 2011 tsunami, no one talked about it with each other. Why? For a good reason. Because they didn't want to add to the sorrow or to the burden of their neighbors who they knew had already experienced sorrow. But as well-meaning and good-intentioned as that was, friends, as a result, they were divided. They were isolated. They were unable to find true encouragement. Because more than anything else, friends, they did not have the unity of encouragement that is possible only in Christ Jesus. Both Paul and the church of Jesus Christ draw their hope from the faithfulness of Christ, unified in Him, so that even when they face great trials, they can encourage one another Not in the circumstances, but in his unfailing love. How does this apply, friends? Encourage one another united in Christ. I know that many of you, possibly most of you, are facing great trials. You have illness of your mind or of your body. You have financial crisis. You have emotional exhaustion. And you have relational strife. And many of you, possibly most of you, in those situations are feeling alone. But you are not alone, friends. Because Jesus is faithful. Because Jesus loves you. And here's the crazy part. If you are suffering, you can actually be the greatest source of encouragement to one another. Not by bland platitudes but by sharing, like Paul and like the Ephesians, how you are clinging to your faith in spite of everything. 
for those of us who are united in Christ, that is the most encouraging thing that we can know. True unity is possible only through Christ. You are not alone, friends. Because we are united with Christ. And so we are likewise united with one another. And so we can share one another's burdens. And in sharing those burdens, not only lighten your own, but through Christ, it doesn't even have to add to the burdens of one another. It can lighten them too. Because it encourages us to trust and seal our faith in Jesus Christ, who will bear those burdens on all of our behalf. Most especially the ones that would be fatal apart from him. The burden of our sin. Why? Because of his love. Which brings us to the last point. That true unity is expressed fundamentally in the love of Jesus Christ. Read with me the final verses of Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Here we see the final expression of that true unity in love. In these final phrases of his letter, Paul echoes back to the opening phrases. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul blesses the faithful readers of this letter with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was how he began. And so now, here at the end, he completes that blessing by adding in verse 23 how this all is possible. The love that comes only as a gift from God. How is peace possible? Verse 24, by grace. And how is grace possible? Only by the unifying love with faith that is a gift from Almighty God. And friends, that love is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Both from God to, to allow unity to be possible. That gift from God to man. And then the love back from man to God. True unity, friends, is possible only through Christ. So it's not merely a unity between one another, 
but a unity between us and God himself. Because we can love him because he first loved us. And that love was so great that the unbridgeable distance that existed between God and you had to be bridged by the cross of Jesus. I love that word peace because that implies a war. There was a war that raged between your sin and God. And it can only know peace through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. That, friends, is the price of true unity. So that we can experience peace, love, faith, and grace. All found as you hide yourself in Jesus Christ. So how does this final truth apply? The love of Jesus is the only thing that offers true unity with God and with one another. So if your heart tells you that what you are missing in your desire for unity is anything other than Jesus Christ, it is lying to you. Unity in love isn't found through a fraternity of wealthy businessmen. Unity in love isn't found by just loving yourself. Unity in love isn't found through the respect of your peers or a team that you may lead. Unity in love isn't found through an earthly partner. Friends, unity in love is found only in Christ. And only then, flowing out from that unity with God, are any other types of unity even possible. From that unity flows unity in prayer, unity in encouragement, and unity in love with both God and man, only because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the price, Lord, that you paid that we could be united with you. Lord God, that you would do the work to cross what we could not cross. Jesus, we confess our attempts at generating unity apart from you, God, and we repent of those. Father God, we repent that we don't seek you first. Father God, be the heart of this place. Be the heart of this church, God. Be the heart of our families. Lord, be the heart of our, of our training of our children. The heart of our workplaces, God, as we interact with the world. God, I pray that you would be what it is truly all about. 
Lord, help us to seek unity with you. God, to put our sin to death, to put our selfishness to death, Father God, to pray in your spirit, Father God. God, I pray, Lord, that we would truly seek what you seek, Father. God, help us to know that. God, reveal that to us. Father, as you send us out in the world, be it to uh, a job down the street, Lord, or to India, or to, to Thailand, God, to Malaysia. Father God, I thank you for the brothers and sisters in Malaysia. Father, thank you for your body throughout the world. God, I pray. I pray for you to be glorified in them. God, may we encourage them as we share our faith together. And God, may they encourage us as they cling to faith in you, Jesus, despite all that they face. Lord God, this is your world. You are the king of it, Father God. And so I pray that your will would be done, that we would know you more in this coming week, Jesus. Amen.